Uh, we're in a brand new series starting uh, this month, and this is kind of our vision series. So if you're new to the church or if you're fairly new to the church, this is a great, great uh, sermon series to be a part of. We're going to kind of cast vision for what we're doing here at Horizon and why we gather as a church. We're calling it Being the Church, Spheres of Impact. And where, the, where this series comes from is from this verse right here in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. He's already risen from the grave. He's hung out with his disciples, and this is one of the last things that he tells them. Acts 1, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so this is one of the things, he also says something in Matthew that we'll get to in a second, but he's kind of commissioning to his disciples to send them out. And notice what he says first here. Um, He says, look, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so step one for the disciples was, you are going to go out into the world, and think about this, picture yourself, you're, you're a Galilean fisherman. Like, you're from Galilee, and your main thing that you've done your whole life is to fish. And Jesus has the audacity to say, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth. But first, you're not going to be able to do this in your own power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to send you out to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to love people that are absolutely unlovable. To share the gospel with people that are completely pagan, that want to reject you, kill you, persecute you. And listen, you're not going to be able to do it on your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you before you get sent out. And the next thing he says is these concentric circles of impact. He says, what I want you to do is start in Jerusalem. You know Jerusalem really well. Then go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So this is what... Jerusalem would have meant to the disciples. This is a map. You know I brought a bunch of maps with me this morning. But this is Jerusalem in Jesus' day where it's kind of that pinkish color. This is the Temple Mount where Jesus would have spent a lot of his times in this this area teaching. This is the, the Kidron Valley, probably where he walked as he's going to the Mount of Olives right here, right in the final moments of his life. This is where he spent a lot of his time. And the disciples would have known Jerusalem well. Think about it. They, when they, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2 and they're, they're ministering, all their ministry happens first in Jerusalem. For the first few chapters of the book of Acts, all the way to chapter 7, basically. And, you know, this is where Jesus was presented as an infant. We're going to celebrate Christmas coming up here soon. This is where he was brought to the temple and presented and dedicated as an infant. This is where he was found when he was 12 years old. He was teaching the other rabbis. This is where he taught in the temple courts. This is where he healed at the Pool of Siloam and the Pool of Bethesda. And he did a lot of other healings in that area, but those were two big miracle stories at those pools. This was in Jerusalem. He overturned the tables in Jerusalem. You remember the the last week of his life, he went into the temple and he flipped the money changer tables in the temple. Of course, this is where the Last Supper happened. This is where Jesus was crucified and buried just outside the city. He was resurrected from the dead, and he met the disciples in the upper room. So lots happened in Jerusalem. Listen, the people of Jerusalem would have known about Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? They would have known Jesus the rabbi. They would have heard his teaching. They would have been familiar with the fact that he was crucified. And Jesus says, when I send you out, I want you to start there where people are most familiar with me and my ministry. Start right there in Jerusalem. 
From there, I want you to go to Judea. Now, you can see this area. This is Jerusalem, and the area right around Jerusalem was Judea. And so ethnically, these are Jewish people. Religiously, this is known as like the faithful people. In the southern region, closest to Jerusalem, even in the Old Testament, Judah was the most faithful people. So they were kind of known for being, you know, the really faithful Jewish people. And geographically, it was close to Jerusalem. So the idea was, you're going to start in Jerusalem, then I'm going to send you out to the surrounding area, just right around the city. And notice that ethnically and religiously, they would have been identical to the people in Jerusalem. Not much change. Till that next phase, where they are sent to Samaria, which is up here in the purple and this is in Acts 8 where Philip goes to Samaria. And they, were, they didn't know if the gospel could be accepted by Samaritans. They didn't know if the Holy Spirit would come in Samaritans. They weren't sure about that. They knew that the Jewish people were the chosen people of God. And the Holy Spirit would come into them if they believed in Jesus. But they weren't so sure about the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans, there was a big conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? They were ethnically mixed. They weren't purebred Jewish people. They were seen as ethnically mixed, so they, they weren't sure how this would go. Religiously, they were syncretistic. This is just a big word that means they mixed together a bunch of religions. In America, it'd be like a person that takes a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, you know, a little bit of Eastern mysticism, a little bit of Christianity, mix it together with some Jewish Kabbalah, and you're good to go. That's syncretism. You're just, it's a smorgasbord of religions. You just pick what you like. That's kind of how they viewed the Samaritans. And then geographically, it was farther away. So it wasn't just farther away geographically. It was farther away kind of ethnically and religiously too. But they were going to be sent to the Samaritans. And then they were going to be sent even further to the ends of the earth. And for a Jewish fisherman from Galilee, when they would have heard the words, I'm sending you to the ends of the earth, this is what they would have pictured, the Roman world. Because there was kind of nothing beyond there. It was just barbarians like, you know, cannibalizing themselves. Like they had no idea what happened beyond the Roman world. This was the Roman world in their time. They're over here in this tiny little province of Judea. Think about being sent to the ends of the Roman world. That would have been absolutely mind-boggling for these fishermen, these disciples. And we know that the world is even bigger than that. But this was a very different culture out here in the Roman world, right? Ethnically, they were Gentiles. They weren't even half Jewish. They were no Jewish. They were, you know, (laughs) they were the enemy, in a lot of ways, right? Religiously, they were pagan. They worshiped a pantheon of gods. And you're saying you're sending us out to those people? And finally, geographically, it was the most distant you could get. This is, this is kind of what Jesus was saying. This is where the church is. Of course, we know the church has exploded way beyond that all over the world. So what does this mean for us as Horizon Church? What we're talking about in this series is, what are we doing here? Like, what are you doing here? No, I mean that. Like, what are you doing here? What, are we just listening to a TED Talk by an amateur? Are we singing some songs? Like, is that what church is? What is the church? What are we, why, why are we gathered? What, why are we being sent out? Sent out to do what? I think first we got to do what the disciples did, which is we have to receive the power of the Holy Spirit for ourselves. We can't pretend to go out into this broken world on our own power, on our own strength. We're called to love the unlovable. We're called to reach out to the marginalized. We're called to forgive people that have been awful to us, that have hurt us and harmed us. We can't possibly do that on our own strength. 
We're called to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. We can't do any of that on our own. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is number one. As we get it sent out to these concentric circles of impact. And Horizon wants to have these concentric circles of impact. And so we have to ask the question, what is our Jerusalem? What's our Judea? What's our Samaria? What's our ends of the earth? That's what we're talking about in this series. Each week we'll cover one of these. And so I have some more relevant maps for you. You might recognize where this is. This is where you're sitting right now. This is our Jerusalem. All the ministry in-house. We could have called Jerusalem a lot of things, but just for this series, what we're saying is Jerusalem is all the ministry in-house. It's Sunday morning. It's parts of Link Group. It's the Bible studies, the men's groups. It's the children's ministry downstairs. It's when we gather together as the body of Christ. That's Jerusalem. Judea, if we zoom out a little bit, is right here. This is our Judea, guys. We have Towson High School here, Towson University here, downtown Towson up here. We have neighbors now. We're going to buy this building in the not-too-distant future. That means we have actual geographical neighbors right here. Some of you live here in Judea. So we're going to be talking about in the year ahead, and the two years ahead, we're going to be talking about how do we strategically reach out and love our neighbors? How do we really plug into this community now that we are legitimate property owners right here in the heart of Towson? Of course, Samaria, we got to zoom out a little bit, and it's more, this is our Samaria. And um, this is like ministries like Youth for Christ that we invest in that's all over that area. This is the nonprofit that we helped found, which was Araminta Freedom Initiative that helps fight human trafficking in this area. This is when we plug into those ministries, we're doing Samaria work. It's kind of cross-cultural in many ways. It's beyond just the Towson area. And of course, when we go to the ends of the earth, we're talking about our investment in Nicaragua. We've had a profound investment right here. And we want to keep that investment going. Of course, we have people going all over the place. We have some people in this church that are going to take a trip to Brazil. I have a best friend from from youth group growing up that moved his entire family to Belize. We have Kate Fahey right now that's in Zambia. And some of our uh, leaders over here have taken trips to visit her ministry. So we have people going all over the world. As a church, we've chosen to specifically invest in Nicaragua. And we've sent trips there. But we go to the ends of the earth. But this morning, our focus is Jerusalem. What are we doing in Jerusalem, in this church, when we gather, when we meet? Matthew 28. This is the other thing he said right at the very end before he ascended into heaven. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus is saying, Everything I taught you to do, disciples, you go to teach other people to do. So everything we read Jesus, teaching the disciples, modeling for the disciples, we're to go do that and teach that. And he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just like we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus with us in this mission. We're not alone. But notice what he says here. He says, go, go and make disciples. And so the going is kind of the church scattered and the making disciples is the church gathered, right? We have to go, but then we have to make disciples. And when I thought about this, I thought, this is kind of like how God created the physical universe to work. The physical universe is expanding and yet clumping. So scientists tell us that galaxies are actually spreading away from each other, that there's an expansion of the universe. Did you know that? 
the universe is actually continuing to expand and expand and expand and expand. And yet, if it only expanded, there'd be no planets, there'd be no stars, there'd be no galaxies. Somehow, the universe, while it's expanding, clumps. Clump is probably not the right word, but it's the word you're going to remember all day today. You're going to lay your head down at night, and you're going to go, clumping? Yes, that's good. That's what I want. Clumping. Yes, clumping. So what happens is the matter, as it's expanding, it clumps into a planet, clumps into a star. Gravity makes it clump into what we have in the galaxies. This is what we're called to do. We're called to go. We're called to scatter. And as we scatter, as we go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, as we go, we clump. So what are you doing here this morning? You're clumping. We're clumping. Why do we clump? Well, he tells us we clump to make disciples. That's why we clump, right? This is the kingdom. The kingdom does the same thing as the universe. It expands. It's expanding. It's growing. It's stretching out across the world. But as it goes, we're called to clump and to gather. So this is Jerusalem. What is the purpose of Jerusalem? What is the purpose of this gathering, this clumping that happens? And I would say, I'm just going to give you two this morning, and I'm going to spend most of our time this morning on just this first one. The first one is this. It's to make disciples. And when I say that, I mean as opposed to just converts. We're not called to just go and have people kind of change their minds about Jesus and believe like a theological thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't say go make converts. He said go make disciples. How do you do that? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Where do you do that? When we clump, that's where we do it. We could clump in link group. We clump on Sunday morning. We come together. This is when that happens. In our commitment, when we ask you to commit to us as a church, we ask you to make a commitment for one year, to say this is your home church. And when you make that commitment, these are the first two things. There's four parts to that commitment, and these are the first two that you're committing to. A life moving in the direction of wholeness and a lifestyle of sacrificial giving. What we're trying to say there is, when you commit to this church, we want you to pursue becoming a disciple, not just a convert. Pursue maturity in Christ. A life moving in the direction of wholeness. That includes emotional health, physical health, spiritual health. It's a holistic approach to becoming more like Jesus. It includes a lifestyle of sacrificial giving where you don't just come to church to consume, to receive but you lay your life down for Jesus. That's what a disciple does. I love, this is an article that was written about what's happening in Iran. Many of you may not know, but around the world right now, there's massive revival breaking out in Brazil, in China. It's starting in Russia, and it's happening now in Iran. And you may not hear news about it, but people are coming to know Christ and entering the church in the hundreds of thousands We're lulled to sleep and don't know that because Americans are kind of arrogant. We think we're like the pinnacle of church and all of our churches are dying. Around the world, Christianity is on fire. And hundreds of thousands of people are becoming Christians daily. Like, we're the ones that have to learn from them. Do you know what I'm saying? So let's learn from what's happening in Iran. There was an article written about it by Mark Ellis in the Christian Post. He said, for the last few years, 
Researchers have credited the underground church in Iran as the fastest growing Christian church in the world. Did you know that? In Iran, where it's basically illegal to be a Christian. You're basically persecuted. Fastest growing. Let it sink in, church, that Iran will soon start sending missionaries here to awaken us to who Jesus is. Iran will. Is that, is that sinking in? How far we've gone in America away from Christ? That China's already sending missionaries here because they see how broken our church is? Fastest growing Christian church in the world. It has unique characteristics that defy comparison with churches in America and Europe. And in the opinion of some who know it well, the church in the West could learn by studying it. You think? The fastest growing church in the world has taken root in one of the most unexpected and radicalized nations on earth. According to Sheep Among Wolves, the outstanding two-hour documentary about the revival that has taken place inside Iran. I haven't seen it, but I want to see it. Anybody want to see it? Yeah, let's, let's watch that one. The Iranian awakening is a rapidly reproducing discipleship movement that owns no property or buildings, has no central leadership, and is predominantly led by women. That's their recipe. There is a mass exodus leaving Islam for Christianity within Iran, according to FAI. What if I told you Islam is dead? One unidentified Iranian church leader says on the film. What if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran? What if I told you no one follows Islam inside of Iran? Would you believe me? This is exactly what is happening inside of Iran. God is moving powerfully inside of Iran. And check this out, church. Efforts by the Ayatollahs, that's the, the, the religious leaders of the country. Efforts by the Ayatollahs to destroy Christianity have backfired, but have served to refine and purify the church. Quote, what persecution did was destroy the church that were not disciples and destroy the church that were about converts, the Iranian church leader noted. All these church planters found out that converts run away from persecution, but disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. It's as if what the church needs in America is some persecution. Because what happened in Iran is all the converts said, no, thank you. And all the disciples said, yes, please sign me up for that. That's the difference. A disciple is so grounded and rooted in love, rooted and grounded in Christ, they'll face anything because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth losing my kids. He's worth dying. He's worth going to prison. Disciples actually believe Jesus is worth it. Converts do not. This is the real church, church. This is happening around the world, and I long for it to happen here in America. So when we gather, we make disciples. This is why we make disciples and not converts. This is why we gather. This is why we encourage one another when we gather. What does it look like to make a disciple? Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this to his churches. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I like how the new English translation says it. It says, to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry that is to build up the body of Christ. In other words, 
Christ's gift to the church were these offices, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. And the leaders of the church, their job is to equip the church. And you know who does the ministry? The church. The leader's job is to equip the church. It's the church, that's you, who does ministry. But do you see how we have it backwards in America? We think that the leaders go get trained somewhere. Then the leader shows up, does ministry to the church. The church consumes that ministry and then goes home. That's never what it was meant to be. Guys, church was not supposed to be that. I don't know how we've distorted it so badly. And it's probably the pastors, it's, it's probably our fault. The leaders of the church. But let me make this clear. What we were meant to do in gathering together is the leaders were to help equip everyone in the church, and it's everyone in the church that does ministry of the church. You are the ministers here. The man or woman up here is just the equipper. But you are the minister. So equipping people for the work of ministry is how we make disciples. So we gather together to get some equipping so that we can go do ministry. We don't gather to receive ministry. We gather to get equipped to go do ministry. Do you see the difference? That's why we gather. And this is what builds up the body of Christ. When we're all ministering to each other, this is what strengthens the body of Christ. Listen, the women that are leading the church in Iran, they're not sitting around waiting for somebody to preach to them. They're not waiting to receive ministry. They're, they're going out and doing ministry, right? Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is what we do when we gather. We spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Isn't that interesting? Even in the early church, they had a habit of not meeting together. They had lost their vision for why we clump. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't lose the vision for why we gather together. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day he's talking about is the end of all things. He's saying as that day approaches, man, all the more. Let's gather. Let's encourage each other in our faith. This verse continues in Ephesians 4. It says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we, reach, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That's the goal. Becoming mature followers of Jesus attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the idea of a mature believer is someone who has the fullness of Christ in them, that they look more and more and more like Jesus in every aspect of their life. That's the goal of maturity. That's where we're headed, to look like Jesus in every at the fullness of Christ in our life. So becoming mature, what, how do we do that on Sunday morning? I know we can do it in different ways in small group, but what does it look like on Sunday morning? It basically looks like what you've experienced this morning, a corporate teaching, we call that a sermon, and a corporate encounter, we call that worship. These are the, basically the two elements that we do when we gather. We also, you know, hang out and commune with one another in other settings, but on Sunday morning, these are the two big ones. Why do we do this? Why do you sit and listen to somebody talk up here? Why do we sing songs? What is with that? The goal is to become mature. Now, how does that happen? Romans 12.2 says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So hopefully, as you sit and receive a word from Scripture, which is the truth, your mind gets sort of bathed in truth, and your mind gets renewed, and that's where transformation starts. 
So the hope is that you take what was spoken this morning and it works in you all week long. Be renewed, but, you know, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And why do we worship? Why do we sing songs? Well, we become like whatever we worship. We become like whatever we worship. Worship meaning turn our affection toward. And, and what we do on Sunday morning is we turn our affections and our heart and our mind toward God in song. And when we worship, we become more like whatever we worship. If we worship our work, if that's what our, our love, our heart is poured into that alone, and that becomes the chief goal of our life, we will become a workaholic. Right? We become more like what we worship. Same with the NFL. Same with whatever. Like whatever we're pouring our life into, right? That becomes our heart. We become more like that. But if we worship the Lord, we become more like him. Now, it's not supposed to stop here. It's supposed to, you're supposed to take this home and in your own time with the Lord, sit in scripture and allow more truth to renew your mind. So daily getting in God's word and learning on your own, studying on your own, hearing from the Lord on your own in scripture. We talked about this in the last sermon series. And also in prayer. You're supposed to be having your own encounters with the Lord all week long before you show up to this encounter. And you bring that with you. Like the Lord is supposed to be with you all week long, teaching you, showing you, growing you. And then you take all of that and you bring that with you on Sunday morning. You bring it to me and, and to the people sitting around you. This is where it goes back to community. So we gather, we get encouraged, and then we, we go out and we come back and we go out and we come back. It's a breathing. It's a kind of breathing for the church. It's like family dinner. You know, there's a couple of families in this, and they're both Italian families. They gather once a week or used to gather once a week for a family Italian dinner. The, v- the Vtex still do it, and Dan Francis and his family used to do it. But, you know, the old Italian grandmas and grandpas gather around with their massive soccer ball-sized meatballs, you know, and they, they gather for the family dinner once a week. Guys, that's what we do when we come on Sunday morning. This is family dinner. What happens if you didn't eat at all, all week long, and you show up to family dinner? Do you think that's going to go well for you? You're going to be grumpy. You're going to not like Aunt Susie because she takes too long to like get the meatballs, you know what I mean? You're going to be frustrated that the, the, the pasta got cold, and you're going to be irritable, and you're not, you're not going to be generous. And you're supposed to come with something. It's, it's potluck. You're supposed to come with a dish. But if we don't eat all week long and we show up to family dinner, it's just, ah, it's a terrible experience. Why do people even do that? See, the point is you're supposed to be eating all week long so that when you get to family dinner, it's a joy. It's a celebration. I bring my casserole with me, right? And even if it doesn't work out, even if the meatballs are cold, even if the pasta isn't done, even if Aunt Susie takes too long to butter her bread, I'm good. I've eaten all week long. I'm not primarily here to feast, although I will feast because it looks good. But I'm not here for that. I'm here for the family, You guys hear me on this? If you're frustrated with what's happening on Sunday, my challenge to you is check yourself and what's happening Monday through Saturday. Because if you're coming here and haven't eaten all week long, then yeah, family dinner's not going to be fun for you. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be family dinner. But it's not meant to be the only thing that sustains us. This is why we clump 
When we clump, when we gather, what are we doing when we're listening to a sermon? What are we doing when we're singing? Let me give you some possibilities of what could be happening while you're sitting right there. There are some ways that you can react to the sermon that are going to help you mature in Christ. There's some ways that you can react to the worship that will help you mature in Christ. And there are some ways that you can react to Sunday morning that won't do a thing. There are people that have been in church their whole life that have never been transformed at all. They're the same the day they walked in to the day they die. They've never been transformed because of the way they responded to the sermon and the worship. I don't want that to happen to us. So starting at the low end, when it comes to a sermon, <laughs> if you're judging whether the person has good public speaking skills, if that's the main thing that you're doing during the sermon, then let me just break it to you. That's going to be a very low impact on your maturity in Christ. I, I witnessed this once. I was in a preaching class, and it was my turn to preach. It was in seminary. Now, listen, I'm like in my early 20s. I'm a terrible preacher, just objectively. And, and I preached to my class, but also my professor. I've told this story here before. All my classmates were out there, you know, Judging. That was their job. We were supposed to take notes and tell the speaker how they could do better. They got absolutely nothing out of my sermon. I got to the end of my sermon. I looked down here at my professor. He's weeping. I look out at my classmates. Nothing. I look down at my professor. This is a guy who has preached his entire life. He was named one of the ten best preachers in the nation in his heyday. If anyone has a right to critique my sermon, it's this guy. It's his job. He's the professor. He's weeping at little old me's sermon. Do you think it's because the sermon was so amazing? My classmates would tell you differently. What was happening there? He was doing more than just judging the sermon. Let me give you some more options. The next step up would be gaining information. If you're listening to a sermon on Sunday and your main thing is gaining information about the Bible, that's good. But again, that's going to be a low level of maturity. You need to do more when you're listening to a sermon than just gain information. I've got maps for you, so you'll gain some information, I promise. But you've got to do more than that. If you want to grow in Christ, then listening to a sermon has to be more than gaining information that only transforms up here and nothing else. So if you want to mature, take the next step, and it's hearing God's word to me. It means you're listening to someone, and you're not just listening to how they're preaching and whether they're preaching good and gaining information about Scripture, but you're actually listening for the Holy Spirit to speak through that person as if the Lord is speaking directly to you about your life. That's what my professor was doing, and he was doing even more than that. He was doing this last one. He was applying God's word to his life. So not only was he listening to me preach this terrible sermon, and he was hearing the word of the Lord to him, but he was then applying it to his own heart, to his own life. He, he told me later what he heard. He was struggling with Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's. And I told this story about this kid who just persevered. And he didn't hear a story about a kid who persevered. What he heard was about his own life. He heard the Lord saying to him, keep going. And he did. And he wept. 
this is when we begin to mature. When it doesn't matter who's up here talking. It doesn't matter if they're a master at communication. We can hear the word of the Lord for our own life and we can apply it. This is when we'll grow in Christ. The same is true of worship. If you are singing and the main thing that you're doing, and this is harder for musicians, by the way, you're judging the notes and the octaves and the wrong key and not that our worship team would ever have any of that, ever. But if that's your main thing, then let me tell you, you're going to get nothing out of worship. Just expect to get nothing out of it whatsoever. That's the lowest level right there. And the next step up from that is singing songs. If all you're doing is singing songs, we're not here to sing songs. You can sing songs at a concert. Go to a concert. doesn't matter who's up on stage and you're singing along with them. And it's a great experience. That doesn't mean you're going to mature in Christ. We're not just here to sing songs. That's not what we're doing. If you want to mature in Christ, then you'll move from just singing songs on the screen to this next one, which is worshiping God, which means your attention is not on the song, but on God. It means your heart and your affections are pointed toward Him. We try to sing songs that are familiar enough, or we try to repeat the chorus over and over. Why do we do that? Because we just we ran out of things to say? No, because what we want is a person to be able to shut their eyes, not have to look at the words, know the words, and point their affection and their attention to God Himself. He is your audience of one on Sunday morning. And worship Him. And I would say it goes a step further. When we get to that place that we're having an encounter with God, where we worship him, and then, and then he, in his grace and his love, actually comes near to us, this is the moment of encounter. Some of you know that feeling. You're worshiping. You start out maybe on a Sunday morning, you're just singing. It's just singing words. But then there's a shift, and you feel like you're really directing those words toward God. And then there's another shift, and it feels like he's responding This is what we're after every single Sunday, every single time. For you not just to hear the words, but to apply them to your life. For you not just to sing songs, but actually have an encounter with God. And here's the thing. Imagine that happening Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You will be transformed. You will mature in Christ. It will be inevitable. But not if you hang out up here in the shallows. If you want to mature, then come down deeper here. And that's what we're doing together on Sunday. The end of this passage in Ephesians 4 says, when we're maturing as disciples and not just converts, it says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. It was when we mature in Christ, when our roots go deep, you know that parable of the sower where some of the roots didn't get very deep because it was rocky soil and, and the other plant got choked out by the weeds. But he's saying, listen, when your roots go deep and you're not choked out by the weeds, you will get past all of this. You won't be blown around by everything that comes at you in life. Like, the storms are coming, guys. The storms will come, and they'll keep coming. And the question is, are you rooted and grounded enough not to be knocked over by every storm coming your way, every false teaching coming your way? See, converts will be knocked over. Disciples 
will stand and grow. And he continues, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. God wants us to grow up. He's the head. We're the body. He wants us to grow up together as the body. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is the, this is the challenging part to me. Every ligament, as each part does its work. You're a ligament in the body. If you're not doing your work, it affects my spiritual growth. Let this sink in for a second, because this is so different than American individuality. If you don't grow in Christ, there's a peace that I can't grow in, because you have it. You have it. And when you grow, I grow. And when I grow, you grow. But I can't just sit around and go, well, you know, if I'm not growing, it just affects me. That's not how the church works. We're a body. We'll be walking around with a limp knee if you don't grow. We need you to mature in Christ so that all of us can grow together. And that leads us to the second one. And I don't have time to unpack this second one. But basically, when we gather, not only do we make disciples, but we do life together. This is the third part of our commitment called investing in community. We do this thing together. In Acts 2, we see a perfect picture of this. The early church, this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. There's that worship part. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those in China that are being thrown in jail for their faith. They read this. This doesn't seem like some distant first century thing. This happened last Wednesday for them. The church in Iran, this is not some pipe dream about the church. This was Tuesday for them. This is what it's supposed to be for us. Church, this is who we're called to be. We were never meant to live the Christian life alone. We're all in this together. So this is it. Why do we clump? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but just these two this morning. We clump to make disciples. We want to be disciples here, not converts. And we want to live life together in that. So the worship team, come on back up. Just a couple questions for you as we close. Are you maturing in your relationship with Jesus? Guys, it affects not only you, but it affects us. It affects us as a church. If you're choosing to take that next step, you don't have to zoom ahead to be some crazy Super Christian, we're just talking about are you taking the next step that God has called you to take in your relationship with Jesus? Here's another way to ask this question. Are you a convert who would easily fall away, or are you a disciple who is relentless in your faith? Are you relentless in your pursuit of God? That's what disciples are, unyielding in their pursuit of God, steadfast. Second question, are you helping others grow? Like, we need each other's helps, right? I need your help to grow. 
We need each other's help to grow. When you come to the family dinner, are you bringing a casserole? It's okay if you can't cook. It's okay if it tastes terrible. Look, just bring what you have to bring, and the Lord will multiply the fish and the loaves, right? Like, he will multiply what you bring. So bring what you bring. Are you helping somebody else in this church grow in their relationship with Christ? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be all figured out. Are you helping others grow? Finally, are you connecting deeply in community? Are you plugged into Community where you're with people, living life together, encouraging each other in the faith. If not, we have some link groups you can be a part of. We have men's groups you can be a part of, women's Bible studies. We have a lot of things, ways that you can plug in and be a part. Finally, it's a prayer Sunday. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have like a physical need where you you just need healing, we'd love to pray for you. If you have a spiritual need, a need in your soul, a need in your heart where you need prayer, just go down that hall when this last worship song starts and the prayer team will be waiting for you in there. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Or maybe you're just like, man, I I need a jump start in my faith. Like I feel like I'm just kind of like a convert and I really want to be a disciple. If that's you, and we'd love to just pray with you and talk to you about ways we can launch you into that any questions you can text that number and I'll answer them when we get to the end pray with me Father we um, we think about the Christians around the world this morning we think about those in China that are being thrown into jail for for being a part of a house church that's not sanctioned by the government. And we think about the the women in, in Iran who are leading the way in this massive revival where mosques are being emptied out and person after person is surrendering their life to you even though it may risk everything, even though they may be killed for their faith, even though they may lose their family and lose their inheritance and lose their business. Lord, we think about the Iranian Christians who are laying it all down for you because, Jesus, you are worth it. You are worth it. And that's what we want to be, God. We want to be a church on fire for you. God, we want to be disciples and not just converts. We want to Give everything, give our whole life to you, like the Christians around the world. God, we want to wake up the church in America. God, we don't want to be the same old thing. We want to be who you've called us to be. God, I pray for every person in here that you would awaken us, that you would speak to us about the next step we need to take in drawing close to you and taking that step to become mature. Lord, show us what that looks like in our own lives. What is the step, God? Holy Spirit, What is the step you need us to take to help us to grow into more like you, Jesus? Let us be the church you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.